It's Dr. Stu's podcast starring me, Dr. Stu, <laughs> and, and my good friend, Kimberly Durden. Uh, thanks for listening. Catch us on iTunes. Uh, I got a question from a listener uh, that, how come we're not on iTunes? And I go, oh my God, why are we not on iTunes anymore? And then I put in Dr. Stu's podcast on iTunes search and it came up and they're all there. So you can okay. catch us on iTunes. Uh, DrStu'sPodcast.com is our website. You can like us on Facebook. Uh, you can ask drstu at gmail.com to email us. Uh, I can never remember what our Twitter handle is, but it's I said it some other times before. I think it's Twitter at Dr. Fishbein. And, of course, my website is birthinginstincts.com. And Kimberly's, who I never remember, is... KimberlyDurden.com. You can't remember it. <laughs> it's that, my I name, I do that on purpose. Dude. Yeah, I know. It's too hard for me to remember. I can't, I can't remember. You know, it's fun being having you here. Uh, you're getting really good feedback on you. Um, you saw that... Oh, that's good. Renee, I haven't heard anything. You saw that Renee posted one of your quotes uh, on our... Um, Facebook page, right? I know that was. I was looking at that, and I'm like, "Wow!" See, you know, you've well, made it when Renee posts a quote. You, you know, the makes thing a is, meme out of it. Exactly. It's like anybody can look important if you just take something you said and put it on a meme. So you know, I'm kind of like I'm. Our dad used to always tell me about what was it Groucho Marx that would say he would never want to be invited to a club. I think that was Will Rogers, but that's <laughs> Will Rogers. Yeah, right? yeah it was. It that would have like, me as a member. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm kind of like, wow. But I think it was a good quote, though. Yeah, kind of, I, felt a, quote. I kind of felt I was like, "Wow, I've 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 arrived." Yeah, well, you. I mean, listen. If if we, they, people just sat and listened to you all day long, they would be a lot wiser at the end of the day. Well, that is so kind of you, but I do want to say something about that. I just want to say really that one of the things that I find interesting is that I don't find anything out of the box about the way that I see things or approach life or, or I think about birth and breastfeeding for instance um and if you had said something when you received the award that you got at the human rights and childbirth co- conference that you're a fan of common sense that was part of your acceptance speech which was pretty cool yeah i quoted thomas Paine, who's the uh, original wrote the original common sense right and i i just and i'm not saying that you know if you don't kind of align to kind of sort of the things i'm thinking about that you don't have common sense but it doesn't seem that out of the box to me and I think a lot of things that are going on in our mainstream world seem way more out of the box to me than common sense solutions and things that we like to talk about on the podcast yeah things are made much more complicated because because we are simple folk you and I and we look, <laughs> and we look at stuff from uh, you know an individual um, evidence-based uh, human rights perspective yes and that's not the way the world looks at things. Yeah. The world looks at things economically right. or expediently or, or, or medical legally or legally exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean this is this is how the world looks at things and so, you know, they would call you and me naive for being hmm. or simplistic and I would rather be naive and simplistic and happy than than be them. <laughs> um, I talked about you know there's there's a there's a liberating feeling of the simplicity of being uh, like the only person right now that's doing home birth. I, I I'm I'm not uh, you mean MD-wise? MD-wise. Not not being stuck with the silliness that goes on in the hospital setting. And, you know, that could bring us to one of our topics today mm-hmm. The uh, with very little fanfare, by the way. I didn't hear about it through the grapevine much, but ACOG, American College of OBGYN ACOG has put out uh, a new committee opinion, number 669. I mean, they must have 600, 669 opinions. They must have 669 <laughs> opinions now. Some of replacing old opinions, but uh, so it just tells you that obviously opinions are just opinions mm. because they're not facts because facts That's generally the, te- stand the test of time, 
where his opinions will change. But right. but uh, committee six sixty uh, opinion, committee opinion six sixty nine, hmm. which is a uh, another uh, position on home birthing. So you can, as you can imagine, <laughs> it's only gotten worse. Uh, while they continue to say things like. Um, Ultimately, the decision belongs to the woman, all right? They make it almost impossible, based on their guidelines that are in the opinion, for a woman to have the options that are supposedly hers to make, hmm. you know, or the choices that are supposedly hers to make. For instance, they are basically still stating that a hospital or a accredited birth center, and they have the word accredited in there, which means that that birth center has now been standardized by some authority, right. are the safest places to give birth. They still believe that uh, certified nurse midwives, uh, if they're going to have a home birth, should be the ones doing it, not certified professional or licensed midwives. The, the certified midwives that meet certain standards that, of course, are international standards set up by another big organization. And the new recommendation is that um, VBAC, breach, and twin deliveries are, quote, absolutely contraindicated in the home birth setting. So in other words, <laughs> I'm really a bad, I'm really, a, I'm really. In, in, they, they know who you are. No, they don't have any idea. They don't put out a paper j- just for me. But um, what's, what's sickening about this to me is that they make these statements, all right? They admit that there's very little data on which to base it. They have, uh, they have over 30 references that they go to, but none of the references that they say apply specifically to any one thing well enough that you can actually make a, de- uh, a decision. That's why this is considered level C or, or committee opinion. But they're saying that skilled people like midwives who have been doing breaches or twins mm-hmm. or VBAC, which of course requires no skill other than patients, mm-hmm. um, should not be done outside of the hospital. Yet there's no statement that comes out from ACOG that says, or that, that carries the same sort of weight that says, Breaches, twins, and VBACs should be done in a hospital. Hmm. I mean, they say that they shouldn't be done at home, right. but they're not saying uh, that, well, if you don't have the option at home, at least you can go to your hospital and have that done. The truth is right. you can't right? because no one is giving you that option. Right. I went through my numbers. I just wrote a blog, which will be out hopefully um, this week. And I went through my numbers, and I've done about 191 births right now at home over the last six years, and 123 of them have been either breach, VBAC, or twin. Wow. A little bit of overlap because sometimes a twin will have be a V-back or a breach will be a V-back. Right. But either uh, something like 52 singleton breaches and 30-something V-backs and 30-something sets of twins have been come through my care. And I have about an 80% overall success rate with those. But I know that in many practices in Los Angeles, I've said this, you know, I feel like, I feel like, um, a broken record that I'm saying these things over and over again. I feel like a politician on a stump speech who's saying exactly the same thing. So forgive me for my listeners who listen to me all the time, but I can't repeat it enough um, that in many places around Southern California and probably all over the country, all 123 of those women they would, would have would had, had a cesarean his, section. And it wouldn't have even been an option. It would have been basically a forced or coerced it would have or been skewed information. Like at the beginning of her care. Like it wouldn't have been based off of, let's see how this pregnancy goes. Let's see, you know, let's even do a trial of labor. Let's see how things go. It would have been decided in the beginning. Well, and even even if it wasn't decided early on, a lot of the clients that I see, and maybe you even see too, Mm -hmm. are women that that start out 
right. being told that they can have a VBAC or right. they can have their twin birth at home. Right. And then as they're getting into the third trimester, they're starting to get that feeling that they're right. not they're not going to be respected in anything that they want to do. Right. And that uh, the couple that I just delivered, uh, I, I, oop, I used the wrong terminology. Yeah. You, what, slap me. They delivered Send me to the, the punishment baby. room, please. <laughs> but uh, the, the woman that had her baby yesterday. Great. Um, very interesting uh, woman. Her sister had given birth to twins 18 days ago. Wow. And twin girls. And now she had twin boys yesterday. <laughs> but, with, you know, and, and again, I, I'm doing these at home. And I'm giving them options. And in all the years that I've been doing these things, you think that you've seen it all, but you realize that you haven't. Okay. And as I said in my blog, in the six years that I've been doing home birthing, I've learned more about normal birth than I did in all 28 years that I prior to that. Can you say that one more time, please? In the six years that I've been doing home birthing, I've learned more about normal birth than in the 28 prior years of my education and private practice. There's absolutely no question that I can realize that in the setting that I'm in, I can individualize care, mm-hmm. I can listen to patients' histories, I can um, allow for things to not necessarily be so rigid right. that, oh, you've been broke, your membranes have been broken for 24 hours or you're now 41 weeks and one minute right. and uh, you need to be delivered or your twins are your twins are definitely coming out at 38 weeks. We're not letting you go past 38 weeks right. or you know, that right. sort of thing or you yes. have to be monitored or you have to have this or the policy says you can't get out of bed or you ha- can't eat or I don't have to do any of those things and that's right. why I said at the beginning, I'm free from the silliness right. that so many of my colleagues are stuck with that probably makes it feel like a fairly large burden to go to work every day, at least in the hospital setting. Um, so anyway, the story is this. At 36 weeks in one day, she ruptures her membranes. All right. Mm. Now, 36 weeks for me is fine for twins. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have no trouble doing it with twins. And I know for a fact that in my experience, um, 90% of women will go into labor within 24 hours of rupturing their membranes. So, so much for experience, <laughs> okay, because... This is where it got interesting. Yeah, this is where it got interesting. So, a day goes by and nothing happens. So, the, you know, we go, I go out and visit her at her house and we check the babies out. I, my little portable ultrasound machine and, you know, baby A's fluid's a little bit on the low side, but there's still pocket more than two centimeters. Baby B's got a pocket more than two centimeters. The biophysical profile is eight out of eight. She's GBS negative and her uterus is absolutely doing nothing. Okay. Not a contraction. Uh, still having little gushes of fluid, occasionally with a little bit of vernix in it. We do take a little nit- uh, nitrazine paper just mm-hmm. to confirm that it is fluid. I don't know what else it could be when you're constantly having little gushes. Right. Seen stranger That's things. Not pee. Well, we've seen. You know, the question is: Is it a high leak? Mm-hmm. Is it a is a full on, you know, rupture? Rupture. Mm-hmm. But no matter what, the babies are fine. She's fine. She doesn't want to do anything different. Mm. Okay, fine. So next day. Did you start to have her taking her temperature or doing any of that? Well, she's a nurse, by the way. She and her husband are both nurses at a hospital, which kind of goes along with the movie Why Not Home, in that she was planning to have a birth in the hospital, but in the third trimester, she began to feel like they weren't going to honor her requests. Mm. And so she looked elsewhere. She followed her intuition. Yeah. And unfortunately, there's basically one choice in in all of California, probably. You mean in terms of? In all the United States, maybe. The choice would be 
No, there's only one choice for out-of-hospital twin birthing in California. Oh, I see what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought you meant if she stayed in the hospital, she was feeling like she would only have one choice, which would might, which actually wouldn't be a choice, but that she would be pushed into having a more... Well, medical. she would have been induced. Uh, well, of course, and, and again, being that she ruptured at 36 weeks in one day, babies right. were head down, head down. Okay. So they probably would have said, we need to induce you. And, yes. And she may have had an induction, and she may have had a nice vaginal delivery and right. you know, in the operating room um, with... 13 people standing right. by and and all her that. babies being extra ultra ultra screened well because they were they small were a bit early. and they were already we already knew that they were small um they were concordant size but they were small we estimated fetal weight was around five pounds mm-hmm. so maybe those babies would have ended up in the NICU or something of that nature mm-hmm. anyway so day two comes and goes day three comes and goes nothing's happening we're going i'm going driving she lives in upland okay i don't know if people know where upland is but it's like you half, basically put a thousand to, half, miles on your car halfway to, know, halfway to nowhere <laughs> it's not as far as Temecula and certainly not as far as San Diego I got another San Diego story I got to talk about in a second oh my goodness. anyway so um, I'm driving there every day and one day I can't go because I'm at a birth in San Diego so Beth goes with the midwife and uh, everything's fine and we talked about day three or four we're talking about uh, you know herbal tinctures and things right. like blue and black and um I uh, can't even pronounce it. It's called colophyllum. Colophyllum, but it, that's actually a homeopathic uh, one of yeah, one of the bluer blacks. We're, mix, we're mixing them all up, and we're doing Making all that cocktails, stuff. We're doing it. breast pumping. She got a she got nipple a, stimulation. With yeah, the breast well, breast pump. pump fifteen yep. minutes out of every hour. Yep. And of course, we're not doing sex or any of that sort of thing, right? Because the membranes have because membranes are ruptured. We did talk about organs of the other kind, and they she just made a face. So that was the end of that <laughs> discussion. And then. Got um, it. So uh, we do all that stuff and crickets. <gasps> Silence, nothing, nothing. So that was day four, right? Or three and four, I guess. So then day five comes around and I, I come by and the babies are fine and the fluid is actually more fluid than there was the day or two before. So how could there be more fluid, Stu? I thought it just all drains out when, when the m- membranes ruptured and there's nothing left. That's one of the myths that people have about amniotic fluid so you mean her body was still producing a, I'm it i'm trying to come up with a clever answer not her body <laughs> the baby the, the baby, babies because they're they're peeing course. it yes their baby's making more fluid they constantly make fluid um mm. so there's more fluid than right. there was which obviously the baby's making urine which means the baby's perfusion is fine by the way the biophysical profiles were still eight out of eight great i even did doppler flow studies because i can do that with my cute little adorable ge Volusan <laughs> computer. I mean, uh, <laughs> ultrasound. Uh, ultrasound machine. Lucky guy. Which I love. Yeah. yeah. I love my machine. <laughs> even though it's probably not even, it wouldn't have really been necessary here. It's one bit of technology that I right. still like to use. Right. All right. Anyway, so day five comes. And uh, so I'm talking to some friends of mine who are other midwives. I have a midwife friend in another city. And she suggests castor oil, which we had suggested to her earlier. Um, oh, I forgot. So on day four, um, she finally agreed to have a, a vaginal exam and a membrane sweep okay. if it was possible. Okay. So I checked her on day four. I went out there with my student Bliss, mm-hmm. and um, she's five centimeters. Wow. And she's 100% defaced. defaced. Wow. And she's plus one station. Wow. Okay. So she's really so right. things are happening. Right. But she's not having contractions that she can feel. And you so this is day four, I think. And so mm-hmm. I go in. And very gently, she's not a big fan of vaginal exams, and obviously we had never done one before, but I go in, I was able to sweep and cause a little bit of bleeding, Mm -hmm. and she had a contraction, Mm -hmm. and then nothing. (laughs) Wow. 
That uterus <laughs> just was not ready. It was not ready. And, you know, I don't know how she would have responded to Pitocin. I really don't know because it wasn't ready. Nothing, it didn't want to do anything. All right. The babies maybe needed to be in a little longer because, again, they were small when they were born. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then that day five comes along. And, you know, at this point, I know that uh, I, we're, the whole team is a little anxious. We've been on sort of call for five days in a row wondering, you know, what's going on. And I had to, I had to go to a birth in San Diego during this time while wow. she's ruptured. And if she went into labor, then I would have had to be in two places at once, which mm-hmm. is physically hard to do. Mm-hmm. And, and so we're on edge. We know we're way outside the lines. We know that if for any reason she gets transported at this point, it's going to look really, really uh, out of bounds. Not just because ACOG says so, but because she's you know been ruptured with twins yeah. for five days, it's and not necessarily something you hear every day. Correct, that and that's even happening. even if she'd been ruptured and and they left her alone in the hospital, they would have put her on antibiotics because she's been ruptured for more than twenty four right. hours, even though she had no negative signs cultures, of right. right? And no no signs of infection, no fetal tachycardia, no maternal tachycardia, no temperature, uh, nothing, no sign of infection, no uterine irritability, which would be a sign of infection, right. nothing. Uh, she was getting lots of sleep. She was taking good care of herself. So finally, on day five the castor oil conversation comes up again and she agrees to do it. And she said that she drank this concoction that, that I gave, that I told her to take. Which one? Which was, which oh, it had, you? it had castor oil and cream and um, something orange in it. Orange juice. <laughs> yeah. You've heard of this one before? Wait, not the cream. I've heard the orange juice well, she's and vodka. And milk. No, it's milk, it but milk. she said use cream. <gasps> so anyway, that's what the Sounds midwife told me. That's yeah. what we use. Again, I'm not an expert in castor oil. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and um, uh, so she took that in the late afternoon, late early evening. And about seven hours later, she said that it tasted like uh, uh, hell on crack, <laughs> is what she said. Which I love that. That's in the, that's in the blog. Yeah. Hell, she's got, she had some great comments uh, that I quoted her on. But uh, she, she started her business around three in the morning with uh, bidding on the toilet. And by 3.30, right. she was contracting regularly. I got there. I was the first one to get there. We got got there a little after four, and by eight uh, eight forty four in the morning, in the water, baby A comes out, and uh, baby B, not to be left behind, thirteen minutes later, uh, also came out awesome. in the water. Awesome. And she had her family. Her mother was there. Her husband was there. Her sister, who had her previous twins eighteen days ago, was there. Our team was there, and the babies were. Born at home as it should be. Wow. Uh, very nicely. And and again, if the powers that be had any control over this, this this kind of option would never have happened. Is this out of is this out of the norm? Of course it is. But should any organization or any hospital institution be able to tell a person that it's absolutely contraindicated and you can't do it? I don't I don't think so. Well, Stu, first of all, congratulations on the birth. That's an amazing story. Um, I think all birth stories are, are unique and, and amazing in their own way. And, and that's, that's a great one. And I want to read the, your blog. But you s- mentioned something about individualized care. And that is something that we don't have in mainstream medicine in this country. And the protocols that these different organizations are making are like a blank, are blanket protocols to kind of cover everybody's behind. And t- and to protect them legally, um, but they actually have nothing to do with individualized care, and that is 
a huge problem. No, that you 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 can't. And, and the bigger things get, the more things consolidate. The more there are mergers, and and one company buys another company, and one hospital organization. It's buys corporate an, birth. Yeah, that's what it is. It is. It's assembly line birth. It's like, it, it, yeah, it is. And you can't and you can't individualize. You have shift medicine. You don't even have people who know people right. taking care of you. Right. And. Um, I just don't understand how organizations. I understand why this happens because of the volume and the and the cost of healthcare, and I understand that. But I don't understand how they can they can they can sit there and tell the people that it's better. And that's what they're telling people. That's the insidious is that don't part. Don't do this. Do this. Yeah. Don't do this because we think it's dangerous. Go right. here, where it's probably just as dangerous, but we have control over it. That's it right there. Okay. That's it right there. What you said is that. You can come over here, come over here. You have, you know, you don't have a choice. You'll have to come with us. Yes, we may put you in more dangerous situations, but because of the way we've set up the system and the way we set up this protocol, our behinds are covered. You may not have gotten what you want. You may have not had a good experience. You may not have felt supportive, but it, but it fell into our protocols. And that's all we need to kind of make sure that we're covered. Our behind is covered. I mean, it isn't really about patient patient satisfaction you know, they, they pick they they pick the the risks that they consider to be valuable and they they ignore the risks that they don't consider to or benefits and risks that they don't exactly. consider to be valuable and that's exactly classic cognitive dissonance mm-hmm. for instance in the in the ACOG in the ACOG guideline they state that there are there's much evidence to suggest that uh, women who give birth at home have lower interventions lower cesarean section rates better satisfaction blah 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 but but the, but the perinatal death rate is going to be two to three times higher, even though we're still talking less than uh, you know one tenth of one percent, that sort of thing. And so they p- they put that and again. Obviously, perinatal death is a huge thing. Yes. But if you're talking about something that's one point four per thousand compared to a thirty percent C-section rate, then that decision belongs to the individual family to decide which one means more to them. Exactly. As opposed to an organization like ACOG coming out and well, it's, it's quite vil- vilifying one choice and putting themselves in a position where... You we know, know pe- what's best for you. That's yeah, what, what they're basically yes, saying. Yes, and if they continue along this tack, they, they're going to become obsolete. And we're going to talk, maybe we'll have time to this podcast or our next one about some stuff that was, took place in Alabama. We'll get to that. But, you know, they're going to become obsolete because people are going to... You know, listen, there'll always be people who are... Who are um, sheep who need to just be herded through it because they don't really know too much or they don't want to know too much or they have had a bad experience in life and they just want a section and they don't you know they just they want to be numb the entire time and that's fine as long as they're made aware of the options exactly. and benefits of exactly. of that choice well that's as well. part of choice that's part of choice if you have and that's also and it's also see we're talking about choice but we 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 missed the informed choice part so if a client goes in to a doctor and says, these are my concerns, this is what I want done, and then that doctor or that care provider gives them all the options and all the informed choice, then then that particular client is really making a decision based upon knowledge as opposed to being forced into a position. Well, to, skewed. To yeah, they're, they're skewed. They're given information that skews them down a path. And it, it takes the wise patient to understand that that's what's happening to them. Like this, exactly. Po- like this woman who was a nurse. Right. Okay. Who, like in the movie Why Not Home, with a, where the five birth workers at a hospital had decided that they were going to give birth at home. And I think four of them were successful. One ended up with a C-section, which is pretty much the, 
the rates you'd expect it to have uh, to happen. But they all worked in the hospital related to labor and delivery or the nursery, and they all said, you know what? We work here, but we don't want our have our babies here. And it's the same thing with this woman. She was going to do it because financially it was a lot cheaper for her sure. to stay in the model of care that she was in. But she realized that at some point that, wait a minute, this is, a, this is, a, this is probably the only time I'm going to have kids. Mm. My only pregnancy. Mm. I, I don't want, you know, she said afterwards, she says, he says, you know, well, she made the usual comment to her husband. <laughs> this is it, honey. <laughs> this is it, honey. <laughs> right, that sort of thing. Now, he knows, you know, a month from now, they, they sometimes <laughs> are, are, feel differently. But This is true. But uh, she, they, they were great. And she, but she was six days. It was six days. 143 hours wow. of at least leaking, if not full-blown ruptured membranes. Wow. Um, that one tops, you know, I previously had written a blog called uh, Two Days Trapped in Temecula, which was 67 hours of ruptured membranes. And, and now I'm at now, now this new record for me. It's 143. But now Are you I trying to go for a record for no, a long, I, long but, amount of time? But I will add that, that when I used to work in a hospital and a woman, say, ruptured her membranes at 24 weeks or 25 weeks. Right. They were sometimes in the hospital for seven or eight weeks. Right. So they had ruptured membranes for, for you know, 50, 60 days. Yeah. And we let them do that. Yeah. Now, granted... You know, sometimes even we send them home if they were stable and they got to a point of viability right. and stuff. We sometimes would send them home, right. and we used to have uh, home monitoring. You could do that. I don't know if you still if that's still available. And or what not. would that entail? A service would come to the house a couple times a day and just check and run them. NSTs yeah. on the babies, that sort mm-hmm. of thing, or once a day, uh, that that sort of thing. And then they would they can they're quite capable of taking their own uh, temperature. you know they don't need to be in the hospital they to to have their temperature but 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 we allowed we allowed them there's that word we yeah it was allowed to to let them go weeks and weeks and weeks now though do you find i think it does for extreme prematurity i don't think it would happen in this case scenario i think that if you're beyond 32 weeks or you know 34 weeks maybe at the most and you rupture your membranes they want to buy you 48 hours maybe to give steroids or something like that and then they want to get the babies out right which I'm not sure why. Hmm. I mean, I, uh, granted, there is a risk of, a, uh, of infection, but there's also a benefit. These babies got five, six extra days right. um, of maybe a little bit of stress, although I don't think there was much, much stress because nothing was really happening. But six extra days right. means, according to the, the statistics, maybe four to six ounces of extra weight, mm-hmm. which they, p- were, which they were putting on, which mm-hmm. they need because they were both just under five pounds. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a fascinating story. Um, how do you want to, what do you want to say about just in terms of the decision-making process of the parents? I mean, do you think that they were crazy to consider this as an option? I mean. No, as a matter of fact, they were more, I mean, not crazy to have twins at home or crazy to wait six either, days. Either, either. Um, I mean, base them, uh, think about well, I, these cr- intelligent people. Obviously, they're intelligent. They're both medical professionals. They work in a hospital and they decided to do something outside the norm. How do you contrast that with, with what ACOG is saying? Well, well, I personally think that, that the best innovations and things that happen in the world are done by people who think outside the box. <laughs> so I think that these people are, you know, they're smart enough to know that the hospital model has some benefits and if they needed them they could go and they get could them. go right they didn't need them they didn't want them and they and they basically trusted me and the team right to, that they to, chose to, that they to be, vetted and to, chose to be supportive and right. there's enough I, i've got enough data out there now too i'm certain that, you know i published once and i'm gonna try to publish again when i have uh uh i got two when i get 200 verses coming up soon and i'm going to probably publish a paper on breaches and twins out of the hospital 
I was planning to do this prior to this ACOG paper that came out that said absolutely don't do this. But now I'm even more highly motivated <laughs> <laughs> to do it. You know, it's just, you know, I just, I'm, that's just me. That's just my, uh, my sense of humor, I guess. Um, but I think, I think crazy is all relative. I mean, right. crazy like a fox. You've heard that many times before. Right. I think that they weren't crazy to consider this as an option. They would be crazy to do it unassisted. Okay. Uh, they would be crazy to do it with somebody who didn't, uh, who wasn't skilled. Right. Um, and then the six days, that was, that's an interesting thing because we were all in new territory there. Right. You know, not new territory, like I said before, for being prolonged rupture, but, you know, home birthing, twins, 36 in weeks, uh, long ruptured membranes. You know, it would have been more difficult, to, the decision would have been much more difficult had they been GBS positive. Much more difficult. Because, I mean. But even though, even GBS positivity, the, the transmission rate is relatively small. For but babies getting sick from that. Yes, but it also depends on, you know, according to the studies of gestational age, if they were a little early, it could make them higher risk. They were smaller, they could be higher risk. Right, and, and, and then infection. would I give her antibiotics? And how many, how many doses of antibiotics would I have given her over six days? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Ugh, I, sh- of, I shudder to think. Think of the cost of that in a hospital. Not to mention what would be happening to her body with all those oh, yeah, antibiotics yeah, oh for the long... Because again, as, and as a, for me as a lactation professional, seeing moms on the other side and... Usually with all those antibiotics, we're seeing so much thrush and we're seeing, you know, so thrush is an infection, uh, uh, fungal infection on the on the mom's nipples and in the baby's mouth. And we find that moms who've gotten courses of antibiotics in their, you know, labor and, or postpartum will have higher rates of that. And that's also incredibly annoying. It's not life threatening, hey, yes. but it, it really destroys the quality of life while you're dealing with that infection. Yeah. Speaking of that, uh, speaking of the, the, when you started about talking about the thrush in the mouth, not to mention it, her bacterial, you know, her good bacteria, it triggered something completely wiped it, out. It triggered something in my head, which is a clearly different topic, which I'm, I want to get back to the breach delivery in a second uh, in San Diego. But, uh, I, w- I just was talking to a midwife in San Diego yesterday or the day before about the difference between folate and folic acid. Okay. Okay. Now you you probably know this as a lactation person. I didn't. I was always taught they were the same thing. They're different. Of course they are, and I didn't know that. Right. As well as I do now, because I was given an article by my friend Nicole down, Nicole Morales. You, you probably know her. Mm. She's a teacher with uh, Nizoni down okay, in San I don't, Diego. Okay. Oh, maybe I do. I don't. Anyway, know. she gave me an article, and I read about it, and and they were inter- even the article says in, in medical schools and stuff they interchangeably. Tr- uh, list, list the two as the same thing mm-hmm. but they're not and folic acid can sometimes uh, bind up the receptors and prevent folate from doing it uh, from the effect that it has and you get these midline uh, defects. defects yeah and because i said to her i've been seeing a lot more babies being diagnosed with lip tie tongue tie yeah uh, whatever tie tongue ties. <laughs> yeah lip right. ties tongue ties exactly and uh, you know so i'd like your comment on that um, should women be looking at the uh, supplements they're taking and make sure that they don't have folic acid in it? Should they just find stuff with folate well, in it? Well, um, I'm, I'm not an expert on that folate, folic acid, and there's a lot of talk about it in the lactation community and in the birth community, um, and it's also important for women, as I understand, to, under, to know if that uh, midline gene is expressing itself in that particular woman, and then she most certainly needs to be more careful. Um, but I can I can do some more research and we can talk about it another time. Right, we'll, we'll bring that up uh, yeah. at, at a later because podcast. Because it's definitely being, it's definitely out there and, and um, they're just so, it, it's really just, it goes into this whole other area. Well, I, I see so no broad. harm in recommending that to people. I'm going to be more, more conscientious about uh, when I do that intake of a new client, I'm going to talk to them about their diet, what their vitamins are taking. Look, at the, la- look at the label. If it says folic acid, you know what? 
Maybe find one that says folate on it. Yeah. Um, but but Stu, I think that's really interesting that you said that you're going to be more mindful of that as an MD. Uh, you know, again, you you know, you're not typically talking about nutrition and you know diet and vitamins and things like that. I mean, most MDs are not talking about diet. They're just kind of prescribing whatever is the prenatal vitamin that you know, whose representatives for that particular yeah. prenatal yeah. vitamin have visited there. Who, who brought their, lunch. Who right, brought who lunch brought lunch. It's true. And they bought us all these free vitamins. And I was like, yeah. hey, I have some free vitamins. Uh, try them out. See if you like them. Yeah, and I it's gotta, pretty I gotta, much I that's I got to read it. labels. I got to do a little more research. Yeah. But I would tell the listeners to to also look into that. It's yes. pretty easy. I mean, you yes. can Google search anything these days. So Yes, maybe Renee the, will put the link um, to that article. On all right. The, and Yeah, okay. That's yeah, a good idea. The, Renee, if you're listening, ask me for the link. Yeah. All right. Now. But I wanted to ask you a question before you move on about the breech birth. I just want to know for you what would have made you change your mind about um, delivering the babies at home catching the babies at home um what where would you have said you know what if i I heard if i heard variables Mm -hmm. the babies really never 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 so the babies were doing great all the the time. time there was never a change in their baseline heart rate um if they if if i did a biophysical on them at home and i didn't see any fetal breathing and the fluid was like none um, sure. I, I, you know, I'd be a little more worried about contractures and things if they went on for too long. Yep. Um, uh, obviously if she was showing signs of infection, up, right. or she, yeah, those sorts of things. And, um, you know, every day we talked about the possibility of going in and getting Pitocin and we gave her the option Got it. and said, listen, we're in uncharted territory here. You, you, you know, if you're okay with staying and, and the babies look good on ultrasound and you look fine and you want to wait another day, let's wait another day. Awesome. And we got to the point where we then we started with the blue and black and the herbal st- and the homeopathic right. stuff tinctures. And then we went with the membrane sweeping. Right. And then finally we went with castor oil. Now, I, I have not had good success with castor oil mm. if it's given too early uh, or mm-hmm. as a way of trying to induce somebody who's not doing anything. But when you got a woman who's been ruptured who's five centimeters... Right. And um, babies are moving down. Castor oil is, your, castor oil is the man. <laughs> okay. So. Okay. So t- and I just want to say, because I think it's important that people can understand that there are times when you're going to say, you might say, the hospital is going to be, might be a better choice for you, or at least give your clients the option to make that decision for themselves. They always, they, they always know that they have that option. Right. Right. Of course okay. they do. Okay. Um, all right. So last, last story, last couple minutes here. Um, you know, I do um, breech birthing at home as well. Everybody knows that. And I think that uh, last Thursday, well, well, the dates are going to be screwed up because the podcast doesn't come out on time. But about a week ago, on a Thursday, I had a w- woman coming up from San Diego as a, as a breech for a new consult. And she was 39 weeks. Wow. Or 38 and 6 on, on Thursday. Okay. But I was at a birth. Mm. A regular head down, <laughs> multip <laughs> water birth, which was great. It was just a nice reprieve from my from the usual stuff. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, so I had to cancel her appointment and ma- made sure that she didn't drive all the way up. That so we, she stayed down there. So Sunday I was going to go down to San Diego to spend the day with my daughter. Anyway, I did have this other upland lady out there with ruptured membranes, but I was going to go down to spend the day with my daughter and go to the Padres game because my daughter works for them and, and, and then we were going to go to a movie afterwards and it was really we had a really nice time. So I drove down early in the morning to meet this couple because they, they missed the appointment and I did a home visit, initial intake visit with them with a midwife that's down in San Diego okay. and her student. And uh, we spent the time talking and they 
signed on and they thought it was a great thing to do. And so later that evening, they sent me a text saying that we're in. Great. And then... And this is not unusual for you, I must say, that there's a lot of folks that come to you, especially with breach, that are coming well, their the Well, their choices were limited and they were told they were scheduled for a C-section on Monday afternoon. Right. And they didn't really want it. And it was her second baby. Got it. And she'd had a vaginal delivery with her first. I mean, right. a perfect candidate. Right. Baby met all the criteria, the flex tear, the frank breach, the normal weight, and all that stuff. So this was Sunday. Okay. So Monday at 10 in the morning. Mm-hmm. No, it's not 10 in the morning. It's like 8 in the morning. I get a call and she's in labor. Okay. All right. Okay. So less than 12 hours or less than 24 hours after I left their house. Wow. She's in labor. So I'm heading down. And I'm on the freeway, and then she send, sends me a text. Says my water just broke. <laughs> it's like, it's like, <laughs> Drive oh, a little oh faster. My god, oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> you know. Um, so anyway, so uh, the midwife gets there, and of course, 12 minutes after she gets there, um, the baby delivers. Now, according to California law, we're supposed to call 911, and the midwife isn't supposed to. Live, but there was no time. Right. There was no time, and the and the and the clients were told, and, w- and would have refused. To be to, transported to, anyway. Yeah. Sure. The baby came out on the bathroom floor. Wow. As she was leaning forward, so it was sort of like all fours position. Right. The midwife has very experience in breach, and only because of California law has been stopped Bips. from doing okay. breach. Um, and I got there a little while later, and uh, the placenta was out, and everything was fine, and paperwork was done, and everything was done. But I just think that it was it was just a fantastic thing that that about three, four hours before she was scheduled to have her cesarean section, she's holding her baby <laughs> in her home, you know, having, after having her baby at home and she's in, when I get there, she's in bed holding her baby breastfeeding and, and it was just a, a lovely thing. And again, for that, for that li- literally precipitous labor, less than two hour labor, mm. two and a half hour labor, they would have, they would have sectioned her if they could have possibly done it before the baby fell out. Yeah. And, and not to mention, I think I've, I've heard you say before that sometimes when people are, up against the wire, making, you know, wanting to make a different choice at the end of their pregnancy, wanting to avoid interventions, wanting to avoid C-section. And and I've seen it happen with you before that if they come into your care and they kind of say, okay, we found the person that's going to help us, they kind of relax and they many times go into labor, you know, soon soon after that, you know, and it's almost, I, I, I wonder she would have gone into labor at all if she hadn't didn't have another plan if she would have just been in a fear state or just you know going into the hospital having to have this this plan c-section i mean where would her mind and her body and her spirit have been you know kind of being you forced know, into a c-section there's you know absolutely there's absolutely no way to know but your theory is is correct because it's happened more often than just random chance would suggest that it should and again, it goes back to the mammalian birth. Right. And it goes back to the idea that mammals that are stressed or anxious are probably not going to be going into labor. So um, anyway, so that was pretty exciting. It's always a chance that um, we, uh, you know, breaches twins, these things that ACOG says are verboten. Um, I, I, you know, I know that the laws in California are going to make it very difficult for this to come back in our state. I see that that probably is going to progress and get worse in other states before it gets better. But sooner or later, something has to turn the tide. If they're not going to teach future generations how to do these procedures in the hospital, then people are going to seek alternative care. And they're going to do it under the radar, too, if they have to. Yeah. Oh, I hear the music playing. I mean, we went way over today. 
Uh, we have to pay John overtime now. <laughs> so anyway, listen, this is uh, this has been a great conversation, Kimberly. I, I mean, I think that when we just sit here and talk birth, yeah, thir- uh, whatever, 40 minutes is never going to be enough. It's but true. Uh, this was fantastic. I hope that uh, the listeners enjoyed this. If you did, please send us a... Uh, or please like us on uh, iTunes. Please send us an uh, email at askdrstew at gmail.com. And uh, we will, again, I think in the next podcast, we've got some things to talk about. We're going to also look at our mailbag because I did, I did oh, got yeah. a, several letters lately. I haven't okay. shared them with you, but I will share them. Please. Uh, and we'll go over them. So anyway, thanks for listening again. This is Dr. Stu's podcast. I'm Dr. Stu with Kimberly Durden. Uh, we'll we love see you, you next guys. time. Bye.